Hello, I'm Fenya. I'm Susanna. And I'm Nick, and we probably shouldn't be friends. That's because we're from different places and we come at issues from different angles. Me, I'm a gay, mixed-race, working-class bloke. Boxes ticked. And I'm a traditional Catholic woman living as an immigrant in a very liberal country. And I'm a climate protester turned riot police. But what we all have in common is we're looking to figure out what the hell is going on in the world and how we navigate it. And we'll talk about everything from politics to dating, from mental health to nutrition. We'll look at history and current affairs for inspiration and we'll share stories from our own lives. All topics and viewpoints will be welcome, so if you're easily offended, switch off now. Welcome back to Shouldn't Be Friends. This week, according to the BBC, the lights are flashing and the sirens are wailing. This is due to a new report out by Baroness Casey on the state of the Metropolitan Police. Have you heard about it, Fenya? Of course I have, yes. Yeah, and sadly I've read quite a lot of it as well. How are you feeling about it? Well, that is the question. Um, I'm feeling quite conflicted, to be honest with you. I didn't think that I would. Um, I usually just go on the automatic defence as soon as the police is criticised but I think the sad thing is she actually hit the nail on the head with quite a few off the issues that she did bring to the light. So we're going to get into that over the course of the episode. Um, The idea probably first would be to summarise the main findings of the report. So the big one that's hitting the headlines is that the Met has once again been found to be institutionally racist, sexist. But for the first time, um, Baroness Casey believes that policing by consent, uh, which is the um, orthodoxy used in the UK, um, has been broken. More than half of young women and girls in London do not trust the Met to keep them safe. And uh, public trust in the Met has fallen, albeit it's still over 60%. Um, Does that sort of align with what you would witness on the streets as a police officer, Fenya? I suppose in this day and age, yeah. Um, I don't think it was that way when I first started, since the Sarah Everard incident. um, Well, we've just had an awful lot of abuse and a lot of people telling us that they don't trust us. So that, that doesn't really surprise me, sadly. And what is it that they don't trust? Is it to keep them safe? Is it to treat them fairly? Is it to not abuse them yourselves? To be honest, I'm not really sure. Mm. Uh, So most of my friends that are female are either police officers or have no issues with them. When you talk to them out on the street and they come up and they criticise you, it's generally just specific, um, non-specific abuse that they hurl at you. So I don't really understand what, the issues are. I understand. Obviously, we had well, we've had quite a few um, police officers that have been brought forward now um, on charges of sexual assaults and things like that, which is obviously absolutely terrible. But I think to imply that that is an issue for the whole of the Metropolitan Police is a little bit, little bit mad, to be honest with you. Yeah. So looking through the report, it's obviously quite anecdotal. There's not a lot of uh, graphics and statistics in there, is there? Mm. Um, so it gives us it, it's difficult to build a an entire picture from the report on what the actual culture is like inside the Met. Um, would you say that the things that come out from the report, things like being institutionally racist, being sexist, being misogynistic, would you say that the report's findings um, align with what you witnessed as a Met Police officer? So, yes and no. It's very difficult to sort of decide how I feel on this. Mm. Um, I obviously didn't experience any of the racism being a white female. Yeah. Um, Did you witness it towards any other officers? 
or towards members of the public? I certainly didn't witness it maliciously. Okay. I know that jokes were made. Right. Comments were said. Whether people have taken that negatively and taken it badly um, is a whole other thing. But I do. Could you I give do. Give us an example of like what that would that would entail, like the ty- types of comments that would be deemed banter. Just stupid jokes, really. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Okay. Things that maybe if you read them on paper, they seem like they could be a bit malicious, but actually between friends, it's it's acceptable. Yeah, yeah. basically exactly that. But then I do I do struggle with that one internally as well because. A lot of my issues were with the sort of misogyny ones. And I suppose where Mm. I would have perhaps been the victim of that. I mean, victim is a strong word as well. But we had, (laughs) there was a chap that I worked with. um, We called him Rapey. Right. And he was my line manager. There were some very inappropriate comments and actions that were made from him to not just myself, to all the girls in the office. Mm. And everyone just went, oh, that's just Rapey being Rapey. But then I suppose after the whole um, the incident with Sarah Everard, yeah, I think we all started to question it a bit more because mm-hmm. they all called him the rapist, and we all thought, oh, <laughs> who else yeah. do we know with that kind of um, reputation? And I, I don't think any of us ever heard of any actual assaults or anything being made mm-hmm. by men like him. But I know that there were comments made towards me to imply that he had masturbated over a time that he kissed me on the cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants told my boyfriend to give him a call if um, we ever broke up. What do you mean? I masturbated in... What? <laughs> what? So, there was an incident. He had bought me a birthday card. He bought it on the internet, had it personalised. don't think he'd ever done this to any of the male officers. Uh, he called me up on the radio to have me come round to where he was working on a night shift. Um, I didn't know what it was for. I assumed I had a task. He was like, oh, I just wanted to give you your birthday card. Um, And then he sort of hugged me and gave me a kiss on the cheek, Mm. which I wasn't best pleased with, but I wasn't going to force him off or anything. Mm -hmm. And then I saw him about a week later and he spoke to me. He was like, oh, I'm so glad that your card arrived on time. And it was uh, was really nice getting a little hug and kiss from you as well. Little birthday gift for me too. Lasted me all week, that did. So Lasted him all week? Lasted him all week. What does that mean? Exactly. It, it was just, it was the implication. Um, enough material. He wants, yeah, <laughs> he once oh called my. me into his office, asked if I was straight and asked if I was single. Oh, um, Lord. And was he your direct superior? He was my direct line manager, yeah. So oh I think my. that was the inappropriate part, is we all kind of just palmed it off being like, oh, that's mm-hmm. just rapey. But things like that, I think, probably should be questioned slightly more. I mean, he'd already mm. been, um, he'd been demoted Right. Because of a previous allegation. I don't know what the allegation was. We weren't allowed to know. Considering the nickname, I feel like we can all perhaps guess. Right. Or make our own inferences. But yeah. Well, we don't want to make any libelous claims over air, do we? No, no. (laughs) We'll we'll probably change that name when it comes out. We'll call him Rapey and... Rapey or something. Rapey I like that. Rapey Yeah. I don't like Rapey clearly. No. Um, well, that's quite concerning. But then, um, how did you feel then? Did you feel threatened by that, or no. were you? Did you always just think, "Oh, it's just what he says; it's his humour." I don't feel that he's actually going to do anything. And to people who would take that literally and genuinely be a little bit unnerved, I suppose there's the two competing arguments, isn't there? There's the we need to change this because people, you know, these behaviours are wrong. 
and they're intimidating people. But then there's the other culture of, you know, we're in a tough job, we're faced with a lot of negativity and it would probably mean in our relationships we need to cross the line of formality and boundary in order to have that camaraderie. Do you think an over-regulated police force where people are very strict on what they do and don't say uh, in order to be sensitive could actually affect the way the police operates and the morale of the force? Absolutely. 100 percent um it got a lot more i mean it's one of the reasons i ended up leaving so the whole place seemed to get sucked of all of its heart and soul when we just got told that we weren't allowed to make jokes anymore we weren't allowed to make comments especially after the black lives matter movement and sarah Everard, we couldn't say anything we couldn't text anything all our texts Mm. we were told like they weren't being directly monitored but there was always a risk if a colleague's phone was found or was somebody was under arrest and you'd been found there on a group chat making a joke that somebody didn't like you're going to lose your job i ask because i've spoken to people before who work with like victims of rape or domestic violence and they say to me like our humor's so dark that if you were to be an outsider and hear it or read it you would think we were evil we Mm. shouldn't be near these victims but at the same time how do you deal with that constant reality yeah. without making jokes and you're ha- you have that proximity to it so it's not abhorrent to you these mm. idea of you know violence rape murder you see that all the time mm. so it doesn't got that distance and abhorrence that it might have to your average joe on the street yeah i think that's something that a lot of people do forget um and it's a lot of regular people who are out there criticizing us who have never seen a dead body they've never dealt with a stabbing they've never spoken to a victim of rape they've never arrested a suspect of rape they've never spoken to a child and had to come up to them and say daddy touched me here like it's we have to deal with a lot of horrible shit Uh as police officers and if you don't talk about it or even make jokes about it as a way to get over it all sorts of horrible things can happen and why would anyone want to do that job because it's it's a crap job out on the streets and then you get inside the office and when it becomes crap in the office as well, that's that's the state I was at. I was just like, what is the point in being here? Well, I suppose if it take if you take away the camaraderie, what do you have exactly left? Yeah. Okay, so obviously we've just discussed how important it is to be have sort of real friendships and banter and camaraderie in the force. How do we judge when the line's crossed? That's the question really, isn't it? Um I imagine that one would be a lot more sensitive in their early days of being in the force mm. than they would be maybe years down the line yeah. because you get hardened to what you come across. And so would you say that maybe it's just a case of people just needing to get used to the way things are done and to toughen up a little bit? I think it's it's a bit of both, um, mm. which again, I do struggle with because I've always very much been one of these people if you don't like it get out of here like just get Mm. on with it but then I suppose there are things that are wrong and there are things that people shouldn't be doing and I think the main point is if somebody turns around and says to you or just makes the effort to say to you look that wasn't on or I didn't appreciate that if they don't do it again as far as I'm concerned that's it problem solved we've all moved on But I think what the issue has been a lot of the time with the Metropolitan Police is there has been this kind of, well, as Baroness Casey did highlight, they have sort of just knuckled down and been like, no, there's not a problem. If you're new and you don't like what's going on, you're the problem. It's not the culture that you've walked into. Right, okay. And I think a lot of the main issues is, I know of examples of this, where people have reported incidents um, 
nothing too serious, like minor sexual harassment, things like that, where it's gone too far and they've taken it to the sergeants and they've taken it to female sergeants even. Mm. And they've just done absolutely nothing. They've just been, I'm sorry you're going through that, but we've still got to keep this guy here, even though you're like the sixth person he's done this to. And why do you think they would do that? (sighs) Well, this is one of my pet peeves. I think it's the wrong people in managerial positions. Okay. I think that they're doing a terrible, terrible job of putting the right people in places of power. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, to me, the main issue with the Met. I always respected the PCs down on the ground. They were my friends. I really liked them. I think I met about two line managers in my whole time in the Met out out of about, I must have had about 15 or 16 over the four years I was there, Mm. that I actually respected. The rest I'd either completely disliked or just didn't even consider. And why is that? They're underqualified. They are, they've introduced a scheme, the fast track scheme to go from a PC to inspector in, I'm not sure what the time period is, something like four years, right. which is usually a much, much longer process. Um, and I just yeah, think... I read in the, in the report, two thirds of Bobby's on the beat have done it for longer than three years. Mm. So I'd imagine that, you know, you need that time to get built in. To get used to it. It's, a, it's not like an easy job work. to get used to, yeah. So I think that introducing things like the fast track scheme are just a terrible, terrible idea because I really don't think that we can rush promotion and who's in charge because it's so important. And I think that that's another reason why so many people feel failed. They just they just don't know what to do. So do you think in the report there was uh, Baroness Casey found a culture of just box ticking with mm. regards to other things found in other reports that the Met needs to comply with. Do you think that that management style might affect that in the sense that a lot of new managers clearly don't quite know exactly how the streets work and how officers work and what it's like to be doing these roles. And so they might take some management tips and tricks from their university courses and just impose it without the, the police's context. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the police has actually moved solely in that way as well Mm -hmm. in that they're far more about um box ticking and filling out the paperwork and bureaucracy than they actually care about the pcs like you just you do become a number in a system Mm -hmm. and i've seen it in a lot a lot of sergeants it's not even that they are incompetent there seems to be this sort of attitude where as soon as you become someone who has been promoted even when you're just acting up um which if you don't know basically means that you are not technically a sergeant but you've passed your exam and you're waiting for an appointment so you're basically acting up as a sergeant for the time being a lot of them seem to just (laughs) instantly forget what it's like to be a police officer and to be out on the front lines out on the streets you forget all of a sudden that your subordinates mm-hmm. are human beings and are your friends and colleagues. I had one old line manager who I particularly clashed with who had that exact attitude um, where we were on a nighttime economy team in the West End. So we did a lot of stop and search and things like that. And I remember when he said he was going to act up, we all went to the pub. He was like, oh, guys, don't worry. I'll still be out there with you. I'll still be like, I'll still be getting hands in pockets. I'll still be... Um, still be policing I'm just going to be doing a bit of extra paperwork as soon as he put those stripes on he refused to touch anyone like I remember we stopped a group of about seven or eight um lads that needed stop and searching and we all had to take about two or three each because there was three of us and the sergeant and he just stood back and watched and we were just like so much for for getting involved it's just such a it's become such a big split between the ranks yeah I think you put that really nicely it almost seems now that 
rather than one force with the management acting to support the PCs on the ground with the focus of the whole organisation as what happens on the ground, Mm. policing, keeping people safe. It seems like there's this opposition between the people on the ground and the managers. Yeah. And that whatever political pressures come from outside, the managers swallow wholesale and then they beat down on you. Mm. And then then the, the institution is clearly now misfiring. It's not. Yeah, I think it just it doesn't work because it's not a normal job. You cannot treat it managerially like you can an office role, which is what the Met has been trying to do. And I just think it's ridiculous. We've got rank and we've got structure and we've just abandoned it for managers, line managers. Like, Do you have any examples of any time that you were like on the ground in the middle of something and and, and that happened, what you're talking about here, where... they're trying to manage you in a way that's just completely ineffective for the job role or where they've kind of abandoned police officers that have just been following their following their orders and then they've just been betrayed by management absolutely i mean that that happens all the time there has been countless incidents where you've been told to do something by your sergeant and then they throw you under the bus when they've been criticized for it they're like oh well that he did it off his own back there's also times when I think it's particularly tricky for the the newer PCs because nobody can ever give you an order to arrest someone mm-hmm. and this was something that I was very much like no like I arrest who I feel needs to be arrested because it's my my job on the line but there have been quite a few incidents at sort of domestic incidents and things like that where positive action policy in the Metropolitan Police means that our first action, if a domestic assault has been alleged, is an arrest needs to be made off the the perpetrator just to sort out the situation, make sure that nothing goes further, make sure basically that when you leave, one of them's not going to murder the other. So there's been incidents where you go off, you make the arrest, your sergeant's told you to make the arrest after you've called him for advice, you take it to custody, he gets rejected at custody or something like that. And then the sergeant just completely throws his hand back and goes, well, it's your choice. No one can force you to arrest someone. And it's right. like, well, you, you've just told me to do this, Sarge. Like, I've been here for two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. So what do you think are the wider implications of something like that on the service that the police are able to give to the public? I mean, we probably are failing the public. And that's the sad fact of it. And I think the police is such a person-based organisation. It's not a job that could be done by robots, despite what iRobot seem to imply. It's, um, you do, it's all about feelings and all of that kind of stuff. It's very much a personal industry. Mm. And to take away the sort of, the personalisation off the police officers down on the street just means that they're not going to have that same sort of personal attitude towards the victims of crime that they're dealing with. Because at the end of the day, I think, as in any industry, if you don't feel like you matter and you don't feel respected, you really struggle to come to work and, and do your best. And you just it gets to a point where you just want to get in, do the job and go home because you've had enough. And I think that that obviously does fail the general general public because you're not getting a bunch of um, inspired young police officers who want to go out there and make a difference. Because every time they want yeah. to make a difference, they get shut down. So essentially, tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like what you're saying is although you accept the findings that Baroness Casey found in her report, it seems like all we ever get is the same recommendations of top-down management changes. And Mm. so do you think really we're going wrong? Because it sounds like the idea that you have is that you agree that this culture is there, but maybe the way to tackle it is not more micromanagement. Absolutely. I think micromanagement is awful. I think 
Personally, if I were to run the Metropolitan Police, I'd run it more, much more military. We've got the rank structure in place to adhere to the rank structure. So what would that entail? The idea that everybody is needed to work together to make something happen. Like in the army, you need your, you need your platoon sergeants, you need your um, section commanders, you need your commanders, you need all of the ranks to work together in order to make something happen. And I think that that's kind of been lost in the Met. They're all seen as different entities that are separate, different, that don't work together. They don't communicate together. We don't even go like for a beer with our sergeants or whatever. They're very much separate to us. And it's, yeah. The fact that you don't have that proximity with the other organisations and teams within the Met and your superiors means that equally you're not a coherent team. Mm. You're not working together because you just don't have those bonds. You put it perfectly. Um, yeah, and I just think that that is so important. We'd occasionally get, um, to be honest, I just gave up caring about ranks, so I don't know any of the police ranks above, like, governor. <laughs> so I just didn't bother with them. To mm. me, they were useless. They would come round every few sort of months, maybe once every six months, to give a talk where they would just stand there and defend themselves. And that was what really wound me up. It's like, I've never met this person. He's technically my boss. I didn't know his name. I didn't know his rank. I didn't know anything about him. He's turned up, I've met him once in six months, and he's been there, been like, oh, I'm here to answer any questions, to alleviate any worries that you have. As soon as you bring up any questions or any worries, they just give politicians answers, where they basically say, well, we're not going to do anything about it, so get over it. Oh. And that was so, so common. Not very good. Um, moving on, as we've seen in the report, less than half of women and girls feel that the Met can keep them safe. And that's been very important since what happened with Sarah Everard. One part in the report said that one officer who had spoken to Baroness Casey said that rape might as well be legal in London, as detections are very low, charges are very low, prosecutions are very low. On the inside, is that fair to say? No, no, absolutely not. That is the most ridiculous phrase I've ever heard in my life. It is very, very hard to get a criminal charge for a rape, and I will never deny that. But I think if you could explain that to people, because I think this is what gets missed in the media, yeah. is I think there's a belief that, oh, the CPS and the police just don't want to deal with it, or they don't care. Mm. Maybe if you could explain a little bit more about what goes into it, it might help people understand why it's so difficult yeah. to, to deal with these cases for the police and for the legal system in general. Absolutely. I used to be on a predatory offender unit, so I used to deal with a lot of rape suspects. To get enough evidence to get them in and get them arrested is one thing, and that's hard enough in itself. But if you've got an allegation and you've got a strong allegation, you move in and you deal with that. It's post-arrest where it becomes difficult because the problem with rape is a lot of the time you're trying to prove or disprove consent. And how do you legally, unemotionally prove consent? That's the hard part. So when it comes to domestic rapes and things like that, where you haven't had any kind of physical abuse or you haven't had any anything else involved, how can you possibly prove that a woman has said, no, I don't want to, and the man's gone on with it anyway? Because when it comes to rape, it does have to be legally a man raping a woman. It has to be has crudely, to be re- penis in vagina, that is rape. And you can prove that sex took place. You can you can always prove that sex but took you place. You can't prove you can't well it's difficult to prove whether the that consent. sex was consensual mm. or not. So you would I would imagine would you typically look for things like bruising and but if there aren't any signs of that then you'd have to move further into mm. um other lines of investigation, which is when it then becomes difficult. Yeah. So that's the thing as well. So the majority of rape cases in this country are domestic rapes. 
Right. There's comparatively very few st- stranger rapes. Stranger rapes are actually easier to to prove and to get convictions out of because they happen like you you can prove that they didn't know each other before. It often happens in a public space. You can get CCTV and most of the time sort of this man has just approached this random woman why would she then just i mean she might well do but if she's gone on an alleged rape it's probably happened that she has not consented mm-hmm. so and you can prove that the sex happened by means of sort of swabs urine samples all this kind of technical stuff season clothing um that's not the hard part it is just when it happens in a bedroom where two people live together how are you going to prove that did you ever have any cases such as that? Yeah. And yeah, all the time. What was your that was the sad part. charge rate? Well, so I didn't do the investigating part. Okay. I, I literally just went out and you went to the brought the alleged rapist, rapists in. Um, so I had the easy part. <laughs> <laughs> it's Yeah, it's after that. And I know a lot of people on those... I mean, but I know a lot of people on the, the rape investigation teams that did such a tough job and they worked so hard... And put so much effort into it just for case after case to be rejected by the CPS because there wasn't enough evidence because you couldn't prove that consent. And I think for some girl in this report to say that rape might as well be legal, it's just fucking disgusting, really, and just completely undermines all of the hard work that is put in to try and convict rapes, which are considered one of the worst crimes by the police. I think we should take a moment here just to give a bit of kudos to the people that work on those teams because imagine if your work, for a lot of people, your work is very important to you, it's one of the sources of meaning in your life, to be working in a job where you're constantly pushing against failure when it's clear, it could be clear to you what's going on but you just can't always prove it, mm. that's disheartening and we should give kudos to people that get up out of their bed every day and go to keep work. Keep doing it, yeah. Keep doing it for people. So now we've got to move on to LGBT. Quite difficult to read some of the things that um, came out in the report. Mm. A third of LGBT staff are saying that they are bullied at work. Um, One officer speaking to Baroness Casey um, said that they were abused online by their fellow staff, but was dismissed when they tried to speak to senior officers about it. Um, Another one actually said that although he is a police officer, Mm. when he's out on the street not in uniform he will avoid going even walking past a police officer because he's so scared um of the homophobia some are reporting that there's inappropriate sex life questions um for them and uh one just generic report was that there's tends to be a collective groan when staff receive an lgb matter that's lgbt matter that's been radioed in what what do you think of those uh, revelations in the report? Do you think they're typical of the Met or do you think that they're more small anecdotes? Did you witness anything or? No, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, maybe it is just me being completely switched off to it and maybe I don't really hone in on it as much because I'm not part of the LGBT society. But I never witnessed that. I never saw any homophobic comments being made. And if they were, they were jokes and maybe they might have been inappropriate but they I'm were not seen sure. by the officers but they were seen by the officers banter. involved but exactly as as far as I'm concerned when the everyone in in part of that um interaction has seen it as banter then what, what's the issue yeah well, that's what made me wonder in the report is that there's obviously these kind of uh, people that don't see it as banter 
Well, yeah, also, but there's also these people that are reporting this, but then I'm thinking, well, who is the... Re- is, is the report coming from the person mm. or is it coming from someone else in the room who w- saw it and was offended on their behalf? Mm. And I don't think it's quite clear. No. No, I noticed that as well. Because I'm, um, I'm gay and I have homophobic banter. Like my friends have homophobic banter towards me. I don't mind it. I find it quite funny. Yeah. Um, but So it could be that these people have their own agreements of what they can and can't say to each other but someone else uh, who's witnessed it hasn't liked it even though it's had nothing to do with them Mm. that needs to be cleared up in the report yeah i I completely agree with you because i think that there is is quite a few situations where two people are having banter it might be inappropriate somebody else views it they think it's inappropriate rather than going up to them and saying look guys what's going on and clearing Mm. it out between them there does seem to be this tendency to either just take it to the line manager or Mm take it to baroness casey these days mm. so How seriously a hate crimes taken in the met very seriously as soon as a hate crime is reported we have to put a phone call into the inspector that's on duty he then has to review the case make sure that there's enough officers going make sure it's handled correctly there's extra paperwork that's involved in putting it on and i do sort of feel like they're treated more seriously than a lot of other crimes okay the fact that people would scoff going to a hate crime also doesn't surprise me I've probably done that myself before. Why? Because there's so much more work to do for it. All of a sudden you've got like 10 times the paperwork. So it's not the fact that they don't agree with hate crime. It's the fact that the actual action of going out there and responding to it means that they're going to finish late, means they're going to miss their daughter's ballet rehearsal, whatever it is. All of a sudden you were due to finish on time. A hate crime comes in. That means that you're going to be off four hours late. I think it's important to communicate from a police officer's perspective to the listener, to the wider public that this is your daily life. Mm. You are used to this all the time. To It's just like getting emails at work for an office worker. Yeah. So naturally, if you're if it's 10 to 6 and you're about to clock off and you get this case, you might groan. Mm. Now that could be taken out of context to mean that, oh, you don't support the idea of treating hate crimes as serious. But it could also mean that you've had a long day and you want to go home mm. and, oh God, now we've got to stay late. And you find all crimes less serious when you deal with them on a daily basis. You cannot be shocked at every crime. You cannot like gasp every time a stabbing comes out on the radio because you just pass out by the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) You'd have no oxygen left. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's the sad fact that you don't take crimes that seriously when they come out on the radio because you've dealt with them so many times before. And you are going to complain about having to go and deal with crimes because you do try and have a life as well on the outside mm-hmm. and often that does get impacted and, and just the, the sheer bureaucracy and paperwork that goes in, into dealing with hate crimes specifically. Mm. Well, I think that's good that you could clear that up because I think they need, people need to take a, a pitch of salt some of what's coming out from the media and in these reports is that we need to think about context and what the psychological state of someone who works in this arena is different from someone who works from home. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, the big one, racism. <laughs> mm. The report had some quite graphic uh, details of pranks. Uh, one was where Sikh officer had his beard cut while he was asleep. Um, to those who don't know, Sikh's beard um, is very sacrosanct to them. Um, and a Muslim officer um, found bacon in his boots. These pranks, as they were called, were referred to by officers as just banter. Do you think that crosses the line? Yes, I would say that probably does cross a line. Um, When a Sikh's beard is so important to them for all kind of reasons, if somebody came and cut my hair off in the night, I'd be devastated because I really like my hair. Mm. (laughs) Obviously, for a Sikh man, his beard has even more importance than that. Mm. 
because it's a religious thing as well. So to just go and cut that off is pretty shocking. I don't think we can deny that. Um, Bacon in the boots, also pretty disrespectful. But that one, I'd say, wouldn't be any worse than somebody sticking an ironing board in my locker or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. it's probably a bit bit inappropriate and a bit weird, but like... Yeah. Yeah. You're saying... It Let's shouldn't. It, that that's the sort of thing. Yeah, that probably shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Um. But again, I don't think that that necessarily means that the entirety of the Metropolitan Police is institutionally racist. Yeah. Which I think that is the phrase that. Do you know how many like officers are, are in the Met? Uh. Oh, I wrote this down yeah, yesterday. And the, I really can't remember now. Yeah, well, anyway, for the country's largest police force that that polices what nine, ten million people as well as the big important national ones, to have these, albeit not very nice anecdotes, is probably an achievement in a way for that many officers. I mean, there must be, what, 30,000, 40,000 officers in the Met? Yeah, big maybe number. Maybe more. Mm. I, I know and it's, it's controversial to say it, but I feel like they have the trust of over 60% of the public. So things aren't quite as bad. I mean, you see out in the media, in the BBC, they're saying that the Met needs to be broken up and... You know, all of these severe, harsh punishments and that they're never learning. But I think that's a demonisation of people that put on a uniform every day, that go out there in in very dangerous circumstances to, to try and keep the public safe. I'm not saying that all of them are angels, because of course they're not. And there are certain personality characteristics that would have you do that job in the first place. But that doesn't automatically mean that you're a bad person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I think that leads me on to this kind of overarching issue of in order to function as a police force and to keep morale high, you need that camaraderie. You need Mm -hmm. the informality between people on teams and between teams and with your managers. Um, And also in such a dangerous world where things can get fast paced, you need to kind of sometimes be forgiven for maybe shouting at someone or maybe swearing at someone is it's a high stress atmosphere. So you have to have some room for forgiveness. And so with that, clearly there are some missteps. How do we know where to draw the line and who that who's going to implete, who's going to police and enforce that? That's the difficult question really, isn't it? Mm. And I think that that's why they have struggled so long and probably will keep on struggling because where do we draw the line? And I, I mean, this is a, a greater question for the whole of the world as well in that it doesn't seem to be okay to have a sense of humour anymore. Mm. The the things that comedians can joke about these days are completely different to what they could joke about 10 years ago without mm. being cancelled. Mm. So as a police officer, you need these jokes and things like that to, to get you through the day. You have a dark sense of humour to deal with the stuff that you've seen. But I do think that there is a line and I don't think that it is a line that you can ever set specifically and say mm. once you've crossed it, you're done for. Mm-hmm. Because I think the line moves depending on person, depending on situation, depending on all sorts of different things. I just think that we need to be instilling a culture where people feel okay to call each other out on things and to talk to each other about things. I think that's what I'm trying to get at is if, if the, does the culture need to change? And if it does, how do you change it? Like, it, does it need to come from outside? Does it need to come top down? Is it actually that maybe the Met is doing the best it can, there's always going to be bad apples, and actually maybe we need less scrutiny of it mm. to let them get on with their jobs? Where do we where do we go from here? Is it that internal policies need to change as to it needs to be clearer about what can and can't be done and what the punishments are for, for those uh, those transgressions? I no, I would say that each transgression needs to be seen on a case to case basis. Policy wise, 
I think that there is more of an issue in instilling positive discrimination throughout the workforce because it creates more segregation, creates more resentment and bitterness, which I've seen as quite a big issue in the Met, which I really don't think that we should be partaking in. I think that we need to move away from focusing on people's feelings and move towards dealing with crime, Mm. which is the police's main responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that if the police were left to go out and deal with crime and crime rates decreased and things were going well, I think that people would be happy, morale would be good and things would probably work better internally. I think they just need to do the job that they were made to do, the job that they applied to do rather than this new nonsense where we spend half an hour once a week talking about gender issues or whatever it is. Like That's not a police job as far as I'm concerned. If you want to do that, go and work for a think tank. To give some balance to that, there is something to be said for the police being able to understand the social issues that are affecting communities that they police and to be able to, I mean, years ago, the way that domestic violence was seen and dealt with Mm. was very different to the way it is now, especially since the laws on coercive control have been brought in. It probably is important, but maybe things are going a little bit too far. And it seems that a lot of people from outside the organisation are trying to tell the organisation how to run its affairs when they don't understand the first single thing about what they do Mm. and what works and what is successful. I mean, we've got the mayor attacking his police force constantly. Yeah. Promising, you know, that he wants to get rid of stop and search. Now uh, he wants to bring stop and search back. We've got the whole controversy over how the previous um, commissioner, Cressida Dick, um, was let go. Now we've got Mark Rowley, um, and he is just asking for the public and the government's patience in order to give him some breathing space to bring in some new policies. But even he said that the, the Met needs to stop focusing on woke issues and start getting back to policing. You know, the public are not happy with the Met because they know that if they ring the, the police because their car's been stolen, they'll get a crime number. The police might not even come out. That's what people are annoyed about. Yeah. Not that the police forgot their 76th gender. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I, I do think that it is, it's important to be aware of the issues. The issues with misogyny, racism, homophobia, it's important to be aware of them. I think they're just, there's too much focus. Yeah. And that has become the main focus of the Met. Rather than focusing yeah. on crime, which should be the main focus, it has moved away from that. And like you said, I feel like a lot of the people who have been genuinely bitter with the police rather than just blanketly calling us all a bunch of racists and saying all cops are bastards. The issues have been when their crimes haven't been dealt with effectively. And Mm -hmm. I would say that half that time it's because we're too busy focusing on being more diverse than we are dealing with small-time crime. Policing Twitter. Or policing Twitter. And I just think if we we went out, we did a good job, we'd get the respect of the public. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't need to be 50% female or whatever else it is. It doesn't matter. If the police are going out there, they're dealing with crime they're doing a good job and people feel like their crimes are being taken seriously i think they'll gain the respect back naturally it's not going to happen overnight one thing that's ironic is that in an attempt to try to get the police to understand the public better they have taken their time from the streets where they are around the public learning from the public building those informant relationships to putting them in unconscious bias trainings where they're mm. actually away and isolated from the public. Mm. It's actually, count- would you think that that's probably counterproductive in yeah. a way, if it's taking away from time on the streets? Yeah. You know, and most people who are annoyed with the police are going, well, where are the bobbies on the beat? Where are they? Mm. Well, where are they? They're in the office. Yeah. In paperwork. Yeah. 
there's there's been all sorts of teams and initiatives set up and that means taking more and more PCs from the streets to deal with these initiatives. And like uh, Baroness Casey like called it, she called it initiativitis. And I really like that <laughs> phrase because I thought she is spot on there. For example, there has been multiple initiatives to deal with violence against women and girls, the Vogue yeah. initiatives. I remember once being forcefully, I wasn't asked, to put on to aid, which is basically where you're taken away from your normal duties. Um, and that was basically to go around on a bus, not a literal bus, a, a large police vehicle. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Top down, yeah. wave flags waving. Yeah, exactly. No, you dance uh, with the LGBT flag. Uh, not, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, on a on a TSG bus with all female officers. What's TSG? A territorial support group. Okay. Um, so they're basically like the riot police. Um, yeah, I was basically put on, taken away from my normal duties of going around and dealing with violent crime in London to go and deal specifically with violence against women and girls. And the way they were going to tackle this was by putting us all on this van to drive around as girls, dealing with girly things. Like, that, that was it. That was the whole, the whole brief that we had. The way they were going to deal with right. violence against women and girls was to put a bus out of all females. And I was so against it. I was just like, I don't, I don't believe in do? this. What you drive around London and wave? And respond to to crimes like when, when calls came out, right. we'd go and take them. But there, there was like six or seven of us posted onto this this bus um, right. just to deal with violence against women and girls, and we just thought this is ridiculous. We had all of this overtime come out, um, Vogue overtime, where we were basically deployed to central London to deal with crimes that involved violence against women and girls, and it's just like well. If we didn't bother with all this nonsense, all these initiatives, just let mm. people go out and deal with that kind of crime anyway, because it's never like it's not like we've ever ignored it. Yeah, we've never heard a call going a woman's just been abused, and we've never been like, oh, "Fuck off, I'm not going to that." It's not real crime, is it? We've always <laughs> taken it seriously. Yeah. So to suggest that the only way to deal with it is by putting all females on a bus together to go and deal with violence against women and girls, I just find that so. Well, yeah, but also if you get all the counterproductive, on, if you get them all on the bus on Monday, God forbid something happens on Tuesday when you're not focusing on violence against women and girls. Anymore. Exactly. Because yeah, on Tuesday we don't bother with crimes against women. It's that kind of. So I did really agree with um, Baroness Casey on that matter, the yeah. initiativeitis, and yeah. I feel like we spend well, so like much it's money all on PR it. PR building, yeah, because they're responding to all of the constant criticism that's coming out of the other reports and, yeah. and from the media. And I think that rather than responding to the criticism, we just need to double down and just keep keep cracking away, just keep doing our jobs. So you think basically management need to back their officers, they need to Absolutely. tell they need to tell the government, they need to tell and tell the public that nothing's perfect, they're doing their best and mm. that to judge them by their results. Yeah. We will get crime down. Yeah. I think you've you've basically solved it. <laughs> and then you'll go back to the Met Happy Girl. Yeah, to be honest, like <laughs> if if those changes were made, I would probably quite like to go back. I do miss it. I did yeah. really like the job. I yeah. just hated what was going on internally. Yeah, just focus on crime. Focus on crime. Well, you've been warned, listeners. Friends after you, so don't commit <laughs> any crime. Thank you for listening for to another episode of Shouldn't Be Friends. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.